Well, at this time, the children may be dismissed for junior church, which includes, for most of them, finding a safe path out to our pavilion. Can we thank God uh, one more time as the kids walk back for what he's doing this morning? We have already heard from our Lord. He has already taught us many things through those testimonies. But if you have your Bible with you, will you please turn with me to Psalm 17. We will hear from His Word again. If you don't have a Bible with you, it's also reprinted on the back of your bulletin. It's a little bit small there today. We want to leave space for notes. This is our final week in our sermon series called, O Lord. We're looking at the Psalms and trying to figure out how can we grow in our vocabulary of worship to God? How can we learn how to pray to God and talk to God honestly through whatever situation we're going through in life? And the Psalms are so full of rich language for every situation we can go through. Uh, that's what we've been learning to do, pray through these worship songs. But as we turn to Psalm 17, uh, what prayers require the most caution? Uh, what prayers are the most tactically challenging? I would suggest this. When we want to pray to God about His enemies in this world, those are going to be really challenging. And here's why. Romans 5.10 says, For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by His life. So we were once God's enemies. Well, how then do we pray to God about His current enemies? We're going to see that in Psalm 17. Let me pray first, and then I'll read through the psalm. Lord, thank you for your word, and thank you that we were once your enemies, and you did not leave us like that. You sent your Son to die for us, and to be raised for us, to ascend into heaven for us, to intercede for us, and you have given us new life in Christ. So we were once your enemies, but now we're seated at your table, so thank you for that. As we look to your word now, give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to receive your words. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Psalm 17. Let's hear the good and glorious word of our Lord. Hear a just cause, O Lord. Attend to my cry. Give ear to my prayer from lips free of deceit. From your presence let my vindication come. Let your eyes behold the right. You have tried my heart. You have visited me by night. You have tested me, and you will find nothing. I have purposed that my mouth will not transgress. With regard to the works of man, by the word of your lips, I have avoided the ways of the violent. My steps have held fast to your paths. My feet have not slipped. I call upon you, for you will answer me, O God. Incline your ear to me. Hear my words. Wondrously show your steadfast love, O oh, Savior of those who seek refuge from their adversaries at your right hand. Keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me in the shadow of your wings. From the wicked who do me violence, my deadly enemies who 
surround me. They close their hearts to pity. With their mouths they speak arrogantly. They have now surrounded our steps. They set their eyes to cast us to the ground. He is like a lion eager to tear as a young lion lurking in ambush. Arise, O Lord. Confront him. Subdue him. Deliver my soul from the wicked by your sword. From men by your hand, O Lord. From men of the world whose portion is in this life. You fill their womb with treasure. They are satisfied with children and they leave their abundance to their infants. As for me... I shall behold your face in righteousness. When I awake, I shall be satisfied with your likeness. The Psalms are worship songs. They can function as prayers, which is what we've been doing in our sermon series. And in Psalm 17, here is how to pray to God about enemies. How to pray to God about your enemies. How to pray to God about God's enemies. Not just our spiritual enemies, sin, Satan, and death, but also political enemies, relational enemies, the group of people we could call enemies of God, those who practice wickedness, those who promote wickedness, those who teach others to sin, those who mock God in public spaces, those who declare with their mouth that they hate the God of the Bible. Those who, as Isaiah says in Isaiah 5, call good evil and call evil good. These people are enemies of God. And fortunately, this psalm, Psalm 17, is full of careful language so that as we are praying about God's enemies, we have some guardrails to keep us in line with the heart of God in praying for our enemies. So this morning we'll see four things about God. First, and this will be the outline, God loves justice. God loves justice. Second, God searches hearts. God searches hearts. Third, God answers prayer. God answers prayer. And fourth, God offers himself. God offers himself. After that, we'll end with some very brief counsel about how to specifically pray about some of God's enemies. Point number one, God loves justice. Look at verse 1. It just pops off the page right in verse 1. Hear a just cause, O Lord. Attend to my cry. Give ear to my prayer from lips free of deceit. So we see right away that the psalmist, most likely David, expects God to listen to just causes. He hears hypocrisy-free words. So when we cry out to God and claim injustice, if you've been a victim of injustice, or if you see great injustice in the news and the world around you in your neighborhood and workplace, when you cry out to God and there's a claim of injustice, God hears. Because God is a God of justice. But we need to be careful for two reasons. First, we're sinners. So we need to be careful not to be hypocrites. Look at that second line of verse 1. Give ear to my prayer from lips of deceit. Free from lips of deceit. From lips free of deceit. If you've been uh, lying a whole lot lately and someone lies to you, don't go right to God and complain about liars. The first thing you need to do is repent of your sin. 
and say, Lord, free me up from my lying lips before I go in judgment against others who have lied, before I point out that other people are lying. So we need to repent of our own sins before we ask God to heal the sins of others. And second, we need to be really careful because, let's be honest, the human heart loves to complain. Raise your hand if you have not complained this year. Raise your hand if you have not complained this month. That's not fair. It's the end of the month. Raise your hand if you haven't complained this week. Maybe some of you are thinking, I, I might get there. Well, Sunday's the first day of the week, so. There's a, a comic strip. I saw a, a little one-image uh, picture. Someone was going up to the complaint department, and there was a window, and above it it says complaint department, and the second window next to it was for complaints about how we handled your complaint. We have complaining hearts. The human heart is prone to hypocritical judgmentalism, to petty whining. And Psalm 17 is not for that. Psalm 17 is not for hypocritical judgmentalism or petty whining. God has not opened up a complaint department and a complaint department for how we handled your complaints. That is not Psalm 17. God is a just judge who listens to every cry for justice. And that's what the psalmist is asking for. Look at verse 2. From your presence, let my vindication come. Let your eyes behold the right. In other words, God, let you see right and wrong. Let you decide right and wrong. Let you decide now, God, how to bring vindication. Two things to notice in verse 2. First, the psalmist knows that God alone can bring justice. Look at it. From your presence, let my vindication come. The psalmist cannot bring justice to his own situation. And we cannot bring justice to our own situations when there's great injustice. But God can and will bring justice. And especially when we, his people, have no other options or no power to solve the great injustice we're seeing. Well, what kinds of wickedness is the psalmist talking about? What's a, a category for this group of people, God's enemies? What, what is the psalmist thinking of? Let's skip down to verses 10 through 12 and get a category distinction for this group that the psalmist is thinking of. Verse 10, they close their hearts to pity. With their mouths they speak arrogantly. They have now surrounded our steps. They set their eyes to cast us to the ground. He is like a lion eager to tear, as a young lion lurking in ambush. So how can we summarize that? God, since he is good, is against pitiless, arrogant, bloodthirsty, ambushing lions. Hopefully we can all agree with God on this one. I mean, are any of you big fans of pitiless, arrogant, bloodthirsty, ambushing lions? You know, God's wrath is not his most popular trait, is it? But a good God will be against evil. A good God will see in the world pitiless, arrogant, that's verse 10, bloodthirsty, ambushing lions, verse 12. And that God, if he is good, will step in. He will fight against injustice. But we have to be careful because this also means he is against us when we are pitiless when we don't have pity on others. He'll be against us. He'll be against us when we're arrogant, when we're boasting, when we're really obnoxious, even with our faith, when we're really arrogant against others in our faith. Or if we're bloodthirsty, or if we're ambushing, if we're mocking and slandering and lying. 
This also means that God is against powers, companies, organizations, nonprofits, and political officers who are pitiless or arrogant or bloodthirsty or ambushing. And here we see a major difference between us and God. How often are we slighted in the smallest way and we claim injustice, injustice? So I was heading to work on Tuesday morning, and there was one of the buses picking up kids for their first day of school. Now, I know it was their first day of school because there were the moms with the phones filming them to get on. So the bus has the stop sign pop out. I'm first in the line on the other side of traffic, and I stop. Two cars are stopped behind me. And it's the first day of school. And so it couldn't have taken 15 extra seconds for these moms to load their kiddos on for the first day of school and filming with their phone, the boy climbing up the stairs and the guy behind me, beep, how dare you make me 15 seconds later? You should have left on time, right? Using the horn, messing up the first day of school video, But, you know, we laugh at that. We've been quick to anger too, haven't we? Haven't we? I've been quick to anger as well. We are impatient. God is incredibly patient. And all God's people said, amen. But God focuses his mighty wrath on true injustice, pitiless, arrogant, bloodthirsty, ambushing, because point one, God loves justice. So when we're praying about enemies. Let's make sure that our heart is in tune with God. God loves justice. We are made in his image, so we should love justice and pray for justice. And that means we'll be praying that those who engage in injustice will be stopped because God loves justice. That's point one. Point number two, God searches hearts. Verses three through five, let's be honest. Uh, We really don't like hearing this because it's a reminder that when we pray about God's enemies, we need to be careful not to be hypocrites. Verse 3, you have tried my heart. You have visited me by night. You have tested me. You'll find nothing. I have purposed that my mouth will not transgress. With regard to the works of man, by the word of your lips, I have avoided the ways of the violent. My steps have held fast to your paths. My feet have not slipped. So obviously, we're all sinners. We have sinned. We're not perfect. But when we're going to God to pray for justice, to pray about the wicked and God's enemies, we just want to make sure we're not being hypocrites about it. So here we've got some counsel on hypocrisy. Look at verse 3 again. Verse 3 is praying this. God, as I pray for the wicked to be stopped, try my heart, test my thoughts to see if there's anything impure in me. Lord, get the log out of my eye before I ask for you to take the splinter out of someone else's eye. Verse 4 is praying, God, I see violence. I'm committed to avoid violence. I see injustice. I'm committed to avoid injustice. So God, help me love what you love and help me hate what you hate. Help my anger to rise up only when God's anger rises up. Help my patience to well up when God's patience wells up. And then verse 5 is praying, I follow you, God. I trust your ways. I trust your word. As we go to God in prayer about great injustice in the world and even our enemies, let's make sure that this word of God is informing us, that this is the lens that we see justice and injustice through and not our own pet projects or the things that particularly annoy us. 
So verses 3 through 5 help us pray without hypocrisy because God searches our hearts. Many of you know the story Jesus tells about hypocritical praying. In Luke 18, Jesus tells of a Pharisee and a tax collector. You probably know this, many of you. Listen to the two prayers and see if you can notice the difference. God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven. But he beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. The second guy gets it. Humble prayers from a sinner who knows he needs a Savior, but the Pharisee didn't get it. Lord, thanks that I'm not like those sinners. That's hypocrisy. That's not the Christian attitude in prayer, and that's not Psalm 17. Hypocritical prayer is the ugliest thing in prayer, isn't it? And yet, as soon as we hear about that Pharisee praying, you know what our hearts are prone to do? God, thank you that I'm not like that hypocritically praying Pharisee. <laughs> See, we're so prone to this. And if we're going to stand before God as a former enemy of him, saved by his grace through faith in Jesus, we have to remember as we pray for God's enemies that we want them to find redemption as well. So that the love of God can open hearts so that we can love what God loves and hate what God hates. So as we pray for justice, as we pray about God's enemies, God is going to search our heart. And he's going to search your heart when you're praying, whether you ask him to or not. Because point two is God searches hearts. That'll keep us humble and hypocrisy free as we pray. Number three, God answers prayer. We need to remember this when we're praying about the hardest things. Look at verse 6. God answers prayer. I call upon you, for you will answer me, O God. Incline your ear to me. Hear my words. Brothers and sisters in Christ, when we pray about anything, an integral part of prayer is that we trust that God hears us and he will answer our prayer. He will hear you and he will answer your prayer. Think about some of the prayers that you've prayed recently. For David, he was waiting for God to stop his actual enemy, to stop the evil works of wickedness around him. He knows in verse 6, God will hear and answer him. But we always ask as Christians, does God really hear me? Or maybe he hears me. Is he really going to answer my prayer? I often pray for the safety of my children. And if you're on the all-church prayer chain, or maybe you saw it this morning, you learned that this week my daughter fell from a tree and broke both of her wrists. And she's a trooper. That's why I was up here. I had to hold her Bible. She couldn't hold her own Bible, first grade Bible. You know, I pray for safety. Does God hear that prayer? Is God answering my prayer? What is he doing? Is God denying me the prayer of my heart with what happened this week? Well, what do we see in Scripture? We see that the heart of faith knows that God hears every prayer and answers every prayer. In a book on prayer by Tim Keller, I highly recommend this one. It's called Prayer. He says this, and I think this is the most helpful phrase to summarize God doing what the psalmist is asking in verse 6, hearing and answering. Keller says this, God will either give us what we ask or give us what we would have asked 
if we knew everything he knew. Let me say it again. God will either give us what we ask or give us what we would have asked if we knew everything he knows. So this week in our family, we've already seen a softening of the older brother's hearts towards their little sister. And in a lack of sleep, God's sustaining us all through these tired, difficult days as we deal with a major injury in our house. But I have to practice what I preached last week to keep from being a hypocrite-free preacher. Because I said to everyone, how long, O Lord, will my children suffer from injuries? His answer is not for one second longer than our Heavenly Father intends that trial to be for our good and His glory. That's the heart of prayer. That's number three. God answers prayer. That is verse six. Now let's get to point four. God offers Himself. God offers Himself. When we pray against God's enemies, what does God offer? Look now at verses seven through nine, because God's immediate answer to us as we pray for justice is Himself. Look at verse 7. Wondrously show your steadfast love, O Savior of those who seek refuge from their adversaries at your right hand. Keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me in the shadow of your wings from the wicked who do me violence, my deadly enemies who surround me. God offers himself to us when we pray. In verse 7 through 9, he offers to show his steadfast love love, one of the most popular character traits of God that he identifies as characteristic of him. Committed love, loving kindness, faithful love, keeping his promises. He promises that day he will answer with his steadfast love. And then he's going to keep us in the apple of his eye. That's where that idiom comes from. Did you know that? Apple of his eye is from scripture and also the shadow of his wings. He's offering himself in a relationship to us, and he offers protection from enemies who in verse 9 are wicked, violent, and surround us. So God offers himself. He offers love and protection. The love means he wants us to identify him as our loving Heavenly Father. And the protection is we want to see him as a just judge who will mete out justice in this world. So God offers love and protection as a father and a judge. That's number four. God offers himself. So we've seen so far four points about how to pray in light of God's enemies and our enemies. God loves justice. God searches hearts. God answers prayer. And God offers himself. So in light of all of that, let's think about our prayer life. And now let's ask from God's word, what are the words of prayer? With the guardrails that have been set from those first few verses, what are the words we can use to pray about God's actual enemies? In verses 13 through 15, the end of our psalm, we get lots of words, but I'm going to give us three verbs. And the verbs are arise, deliver, and satisfy. We're going to see this in verses 13 through 15. If you're praying about your enemies, if you're praying about the wicked and wickedness in our state, our country, our world, whatever it might be, wickedness in your home, your neighborhood, your workplace, your chat group, arise, deliver, and satisfy our three great words to pray. Look at verse 13. Arise, O Lord. Confront him, subdue him. Deliver my soul 
from the wicked by your sword. Not, not my sword, not my weapons, right? But your sword, God. Verse 14, from men by your hand, O Lord, from men of the world whose portion is in this life, you fill their womb with treasure. They are satisfied with children and they leave their abundance to their infants. And the psalmist in 14 is saying, Lord, I see injustice and it's getting passed on to the next generation. Lord, I see this going on too long. It's, it's been decades, Lord, of this injustice. Do you understand? Do you see that it's happening? Okay. Verse 15, as for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness. When I awake, I shall be satisfied with your likeness. Those are some words for us. Arise, deliver, and then satisfy. Because we need words to pray about wickedness. When we see it, we get riled up. We get angry too quickly. We don't know how to seek justice. We want to use the weapons of this world instead of trusting God. Well, these are words for us. Arise, deliver, and satisfy. Those first two words, let's look at them. Arise and deliver. Arise, O Lord, is asking God to stand up. Have you ever been in a meeting, a family discussion, a friend discussion, a classroom discussion, or something at school, and somebody in a seat of power stands up, and everyone in the room's like, uh-oh, what are they going to say? What are they going to do? That's what the psalmist is asking God to do. Lord, do you see the injustice? Please stand up. Arise, O Lord. Act now. Act swiftly. We see injustice. We see wickedness. We see victims. And we're asking God to change the situation swiftly. Look at the, all the words in verse 13. Arise, O Lord, confront him. So stand up to him and then subdue him. Stop him. Catch him. End the legacy of wickedness. End the trail of victims. We know God watches and sees everything. Even as we pray this, we're reminded of Romans 8, 28. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. So we know that if God waits another day or another week, we know that God will use that for the good of his people and for his glory. So these words are trusting God, placing our hope in God that he alone can and will stop wickedness in his perfect timing. You know, let's be honest, when we pray this, we're obviously hoping his timing will be like 3 p.m. today. Isn't that what we want? Noon today, Lord. But we are not God, our ways are not his. In the Bible, we see God permitting seasons and even generations of injustice to bring glory to his name and justice, greater justice to the world. We see this in the stories like Daniel in the lion's den, which the men's Sunday school class looked at last week. God could have stopped the law that sent Daniel, faithful Daniel, into the lion's den, but instead he waited until he had to stop the lion's mouths. And then King Darius sees what happens and proclaims to the whole world that the God of Daniel is the one true God. That injustice goes on long enough for God's glory to spread all throughout the ancient Near Eastern world. But we see this most clearly in the cross of Jesus. Because when we look at the cross and think about what Jesus has done for us, the Roman weapon of public torture and execution is now the globally known symbol that sinners can be redeemed. So God takes injustice and he uses it for our good 
and for his glory. Most clearly, we see this on the cross of Jesus Christ. And we pray in situations of seeing God's enemies flourish. Arise, O Lord. Confront, O Lord. And then the third word, satisfy. Satisfy. Verse 15, as for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness. When I awake, I shall be satisfied with your likeness. Notice where the satisfaction comes from. What are you expecting? Lord, I know tomorrow I'll be satisfied when my enemy is stopped. That is not where the satisfaction comes from. It's not the circumstances being changed. When I awake, I shall be satisfied with you, Lord, with your likeness. Here's a way to pray so that we're satisfied even as the injustice continues because we will not be truly satisfied when our circumstances change. We are truly satisfied when we are in a right relationship with God who hears our prayer and our cries and our pleas for justice. I shall be satisfied in your likeness. So when we pray for our enemies and God's enemies and wickedness, may the final thing we pray be, Lord, help me be satisfied in you no matter what happens tomorrow. We really want to see who God is, to see his likeness, to watch his heart, to watch his heart for justice. So as we pray about God's enemies, we can end up satisfied. You know, this will help you sleep at night when you're dealing with a situation of great injustice. He hears us and he has a plan to answer us. So may we add these verbs to our prayer vocabulary. Arise, deliver, and satisfy. Uh, let's um, practice real quick before we're done. We're almost done. Let's practice real quick. How about corrupt politicians? I'm not asking you to name names. <laughs> Arise! Lord, stand up and stop corrupt politicians. Stop their lying lips and deceitful tongues. And deliver. Lord, help all victims of corrupt politicians. Stop their corrupt policies. Stop them from stealing from the needy to give to their friends. Stop letting corrupt candidates win elections. And Lord, deliver. Bring corrupt politicians to salvation in Jesus Christ. Turn their lying lips to honest lips for Jesus' honor and glory. Lord, redeem corrupt politicians for your kingdom and satisfy. Lord, keep me from corruption and keep me from hypocrisy and help me be satisfied in you alone because you, Lord, are not corrupt. How about praying that way? Take any issue. How about someone who has victimized you? Someone who has harmed you? Lord, arise. Deliver. You're going to want to ask God to deliver you from bitterness. Deliver you from anger. And also to deliver that person from victimizing others. That the Lord might forgive that person one day for their sins as well. And that you might be satisfied in the Lord alone, even in the midst of of being a victim. Paul says it this way in 2 Timothy 4.14. Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. Now listen to what he prays. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Someone did me great harm, but God, you, you're going to handle that. You will be just. You will do whatever is right in that situation. How about uh, social media companies who create algorithms to keep people addicted? Where you see addiction 
all the time. Lord, arise, deliver, deliver many from addiction, and satisfy people in you instead of devices. Well, how about this one? Let's be honest. That's why we need that warning about hypocrisy. How about when you see Christians acting hateful, Christians mocking other people, Christians embarrassing the faith in front of others, Christians not acting like Jesus, even when you agree with whatever they're believing, but how they're acting and just how they're treating other people. When you see Christians like that, let's pray that God would arise, deliver, and satisfy. Deliver all Christians from sinful attitudes, particularly as we pray about God's enemies. Friends, fill in the blank. What wickedness came to mind when I said that we were going to be talking about God's enemies or wickedness? What popped up in your head? Go to the Lord like the psalmist and say, arise, deliver, and satisfy. These are the words of prayer. Two very brief final thoughts. Number one, God himself is what satisfies fully. God himself is what satisfies fully. That's verse 15. You will not be satisfied with justice. You will not be satisfied truly deeply by seeing your enemy fall. You won't be satisfied if every evil candidate loses the midterm elections this year, because that might mean all of them. (laughs) We don't know. God knows the hearts. True satisfaction is not going to come from your circumstances changing. It's going to come from God himself who offers his life to you as you walk through injustice. Remember that God himself is what satisfies. And two, remember that we were once enemies of God. So we are to love our enemies, to be different than how the world treats their enemies. We are to pray for their salvation, that their hearts might be open to the gospel of Jesus Christ, that they may come from death to life and from blind so that they might see, so that they would taste and drink from the fountain of everlasting life that we have gotten to drink from. Humble prayer for God's enemies will be a desperate plea with God to save them and to redeem them. And that's why those baptisms we saw this morning were such a joy. Baptisms remind us that God takes his former enemies and gives them eternal life and a seat at his table. Romans 5.10, again, I started with it. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Christ has given us victory, and there is still wickedness in this world, and there will be until Christ returns. So we cry with humble and honest hearts, Lord, arise and satisfy us with your presence. And we thank God for the victory we have in Jesus, which we're going to sing after I pray. Let me pray. Lord, arise, confront, subdue all your enemies and satisfy us with you alone. Lord, for those engaging in wickedness in our world, will you stop them, and will you save them, and will you redeem them, and show them how much you love them by sending your Son to die so that their sins can be forgiven too. Help us have a heart like your heart.
And thank you that we were once your enemies. You gave us victory in Jesus. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.